Jennifer Isabella. And I'm Keith Johnston. Your co-host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the latest market dynamics impacting executives and their customers. Today, we're joined by senior analyst Jonathan Roberts to discuss the current challenges with employee wellness programs. Welcome, Jonathan. Hi, thanks for having me. It's good to have you, Jonathan. Um, Clearly, wellness is a hot topic right now, Um, and I want to get into why it is. But before we get into why wellness is such a hot topic, um, you just immediately call it broken. Um, You reference barriers. What's broken? And why are there so many barriers to wellness? Yeah. So when I started doing this research, and if you follow kind of the wellness and well-being series that that we came up with uh, here on the Future of Work team, um, you know, we first had to kind of define the space. So so we did that. And then we had to um, talk about uh, you know, what some of the impacts and inputs were to wellness, right? To your employees being okay and having the resources that they need to be productive. Um, and then, right, this is the third report of the series, we got into, hey, here are the different vendors and the different tools, the different technologies that we have playing in the space, all competing for your investment dollar, right? That was the beginning part of the conversation. And then our clients went out and they bought all the things and they purchased all the tools and they they threw all of the tools at their employees um, and then nothing happened. Largely, um, a lot of organizations were disappointed with what the utilization looked like or um, you know, how their employees were interacting with all of these random tools and solutions and offerings and benefits that they had purchased for them. So... That uh, is kind of the the origin of this idea where we started looking at all the different barriers to wellness, to participating in some of these programs and, 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 and reaping some of the benefits of these offerings, which was kind of graduating into advanced uh, wellness and well-being um, plans and strategies in the organizations, right? So let's talk about some reasons um, why I called it broken, um, Well, the first one is there is usually um, a big gap between what executives think is going on and what they kind of planned for and invested in, and then what's actually going on at the employee experience level. And so we always see this idea where we talk to executives and they're like, oh, we're doing this and we've purchased this and this is the impact that, that it's having. And then you speak to the employees and they're like, what are you talking about? Right. And so that space um, we've seen a lot of in the wellness and well-being areas. Right. Also, it's and we, we're even calling it wellness programming right now. Right. And, and even that language would suggest that we're still treating wellness and well-being like projects, like these kind of one off start and end projects um, that we can fund or defund as we see fit. Um, that we ramp up and down as as kind of societal impacts would would call for, as opposed to integrating wellness and well-being into the culture, um, into the way that we operationalize, into the way that we actually do business, right? To ensure kind of a consistent level of wellness as opposed to a crisis response, one-off kind of project um, um, delivery, right? That's another reason. Third reason, a lot of the decisions that we're making are based on gut feel, 
which way the wind blows as opposed to what our first recommendation is, right? Which is doing actual deep employee listening, figuring out what kinds of challenges you're actually going to solve for and applying wellness and solutions to those challenges, right? So for all of those reasons combined, I, yes, I use the term broken. I stand by it. There's a lot of different use cases for needing these programs. And so uh, when you started talking about, you know, it can't be gut feel. We need real data. Talk about the various needs of wellness and why would I want to provide this data to my employer so that we can get past some of these barriers? Yeah. So I think a lot of that has to do with the reasons why we're pursuing wellness in the first place. Um, and I've seen a lot of kind of... <laughs> A lot of different reasons why organizations would 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 invest in this space. Um, for some organizations, they're like, "Oh, you mean to tell me if I spend some money here, we can get some more out of them? We can kind of keep rigging our employees' uh, productivity uh, so that we can kind of kind of get more output?" Um, and that's the complete wrong approach, right? Um, really, what what the the why needs to be truly, authentically is, you know. We want our employees to be okay. We want them to have all of the resources needed to meet the tasks at hand. And by resources, I'm not only talking about right what we think about tools, technology, process, teams, managers. I'm talking about health and wellness and well-being and goodwill and energy and 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 those are the kinds of resources that we also apply to to the work, right? So when I'm talking about data and, and analytics and, and using these tools to or using listening to get closer to the problems that you're actually solving for and the ways that you're supporting your employees. That's exactly what I'm talking about, right? It can't be a guess because we're talking about individual people with individual needs, um, with individual interests and different ways to support them. So this idea of throwing things at your, your workforce um, is simply not, not working. Yeah, and I get it. And, you know, but you, you're you talking about health. You're talking about mental health. Um, you know, why is the employer providing these resources? You know, because you mentioned productivity. Is, is that the reason I'm going to I'm going to look to my employer for these resources? Well, I mean, and in, in, I'll talk specifically about the, the U.S., right? So we are we just happen to be in the middle of a mental health crisis. Right. It, it, it because of things like cost, because of things like availability, because um, there are certain regions in this country that don't have any clinician kind of representation at all. Um, organizations are stepping up to provide at least support. And we're not talking about organizations being therapists or or or, or psychiatrists or anything like that. But, you know, a lot of organizations, rightfully so, are understanding that, listen, my employees, when they're not okay, when they're burning out, when they're depressed, when they're dealing with chronic stress, that not only impacts my organization, right? So my bottom line, my productivity, um, but I'm not comfortable with that, especially considering that work is a part of the problem. A lot, I mean, when you think about what we just went through and what we're still going through, right? We had two plus years of these Herculean tasks, over exertion of energy, um, hyper productivity, just to kind of stay afloat, right? There's a cost to that. 
Um, and we're paying we're paying for it now. So a lot of organizations understand their place, and it's not only work where we get burnout and stress from. Of course not. It's life. It's parenting. It's medical issues. It's all kinds of things. But the part that work does play does suggest that there's some responsibility to support your employees through things like mental health support, right? So organizations are are, are finally kind of figuring that out. Okay, so that makes sense. So you're making the case that work is a major input to our health, mental health, what have you, and therefore you can't you can't disconnect these things. And at some level, our employer has to play a role. Exactly right. But with the needs being so diverse amongst your employees, like how do you get your arms around? Like, what is the right mix of offerings or you know, I'm I'm sort of scared to use the word program because what what do I what do I say in lieu of this? Because to your point, it should be a kind of part of the culture, right? But how do you know? How do you make a call? How do you make those decisions about about what to invest in? Because it does sound like you know sometimes leaders are just sort of throwing things up at the wall and seeing what sticks, right? You have no idea how many different organizations have have asked exactly that. They said, okay, give me the mix. We'll we'll buy it tomorrow. Tell me the seven organizations, tell me the six tools, and we'll go out. And they're all disappointed in me. Um, <laughs> they all think I'm, I'm, you know, they think that I have this magic bullet that I'm refusing to give them. When in reality, there is no magic bullet. There is no magic mix. There is no standard and universal best practice in this space because each workforce is made up of individuals, right? So there is no one size fits all in terms of supporting your employees through something like wellness and well-being. But I will give you some guidelines and I'll give our, our listeners some guidelines to think about, um, you know, how to maybe craft a mix for their individual workforce. Okay. I'm going to give you five things I cover. Uh, some of these things in, in my barriers to wellness report. One, before you do anything, Figure out what the reason is uh, behind what you're doing. I call it the why. Why is this so important? And why is this kind of first on the list? Well, employees are generally pretty skeptical about this kind of stuff, right? It takes kind of this level of vulnerability and trust. It, It toes that line of, hey, is this even a work thing? Yeah, it's too personal, right? I mean, isn't this stuff very personal? It's very personal. Um, and, and for some employees, right, they won't engage because it's too personal. But for the majority of the employees, if they think, if their perception is that their organization truly has their best interests at heart, if the reason why that they're offering these things is not for just another three hours of productivity at the end of the week, but truly to make sure the workforce is okay. And that trust is built up prior to whatever they're trying to, to, you know, whatever they're trying to get you to, to sign on to um, many, most employees will say, okay, I'm willing to try that out. I'm willing, especially the, the ones in crisis that are looking for help and looking for support, they will, but it has to be clear um, that the why is 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 authentic um, and really about the employee. So the first thing I always say from for the clients that we do advisories with is figure out the why. 
and make sure that everyone is 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 damn clear about why you're doing this. Um, second thing, I mentioned it right. So the prereq to all of this is an organization where trust um, is is whole. All of this, about eighty percent of it, lives right in that space between an employee and their direct manager. And if that space, um, if there's mistrust, if there is, you know, maybe. Um, if I think that my employer uh, will hear about me trying to uh, access mental health benefits and there might be some kind of retaliatory actions or they might think I, I'm not equipped to handle certain projects or maybe I, right, if there's any of that, this is not going to work, right? So the first thing organizations need to do is understand what that kind of level of trust is amongst their employees. Third thing I want to talk about is, is mixed messaging, right? And, and we see this a lot. CEO says, hey, everyone, we're implementing Wellness Tuesdays. You can take 15-minute breaks whenever you want and go take your dog for a walk. Now, if your direct manager says, okay, well, you better finish this work and four o'clock is our deadline and, you know, then that doesn't exist for you, right? Then whatever came down from 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 Mount Olympus is not for you, right? So there's a lot of times we see this misalignment between messaging come, coming down the organization to the point where we get a lot of eye rolls at the level where this stuff is really supposed to be making an impact, right? So for the people that are really doing this work, make sure that your messaging um, is aligned from the top all the way down to where it needs to, to, to make an impact. This is great. So um, let's go back to your... Uh, one of your original statements you're saying is that it can't be a program. It's got to be embedded in your culture. Um, I'm starting to link this idea. Your number three thing of don't do mixed messages is like, you're not really in that situation. If this kind of notion around wellness is embedded in your culture versus what you described coming from Mount Olympus is like, somebody's just throwing a program down to me and the manager is supposed to comply and apply this program to my employees. So I guess before we get too far along, like I want to is like, how do you embed this in the culture so that we don't get to this point of mixed messaging? Yeah. And you use the word comply. And I hate that. It's not a compliance issue. And and when it is, it feels like that. When your manager says, Oh, I have to uh I have to let you go on this break, but you better be here 16 minutes past, right? That's that's not what we're talking about. That's not the space that we're trying to create. Really, a better word is commitment, right? So not compliance, but commitment, right? And that commitment has to be felt in every single facet of the organization. They have to be committed to what this what this work is, what it means, and what the impact, you know, you know, what the objectives of, of, of the work is. So to kind of answer your question, how do we embed that in culture? Well, one, the commitment has to come from everywhere. Everyone has to be involved in this pursuit, um, especially the frontline managers, right? Especially the people leaders that are responsible for making this come to life for their, for their employees. Also, alignment is a big piece of this. Um, I have a model at the end of the barriers report um, that I would love to 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 just really really quickly um, get into. So basically, what it's talking about is you can look at a specific space and try to get around the barriers of 
employee behavior in this case, right, taking part in, in wellness support. Um, if they hear the right messaging from all levels of the organization, one, if they can see it modeled for them, right, and modeled not only from people that look like them with their similar functions, but I mean modeled by, you know, I want to see the CEO take a 15-minute wellness break, right? So modeled all levels of the organization. Um, three, they're able to do it, right? This is the enablement piece. If you, you know, if you don't have the right tools or technology, or if your 15-minute wellness break means that everyone else now has a tighter deadline, then no, you're actually not able to to take advantage of a of a of a of an initiative like that. And then lastly, permissioning, right? Do you have both formal and informal or cultural permission to engage in something like this? If you can handle all four of those things, you can really, really make headway in terms of the barriers that prevent employees from taking advantage of this space. Going about embedding this as part of the culture. I mean, that feels like it, there would necessarily be training that needs to happen. And it's not like you're implementing something, making something available on your company's internet and, you know, hoping that people sign up. If I'm a manager, have been for the last 10 years, been operating a certain way, I'm going to need to be trained and coached and to create the necessary necessary space for my team to take advantage of these of these benefits that is a huge resource intense undertaking it yes is. It, is. <laughs> it is you hit it right on the head and 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 it's something that we've been um kind of under investing in this whole time um but frankly we're asking our managers to do something that they've never done before. They do not teach this in business school, um, I promise, right? So how do we upskill and get our managers and our people leaders to um, uh, be able to kind of coach in this space? Yes, it's training, it's, ex it's experiential-based training. It's, um, you know, it's, it's, a sh it's a mindset shift of what the job is. We typically reward managers for like, who can allocate resources the best? Right. That's like uh, who can who can spread capacity over a series of challenges and projects the best. Well, we're shifting to, you know, who can extract the best out of an employee, understanding who that employee is, what their specific challenges are and, and, and you know, how do you make them successful? That's a very different ask. And so, yes, it will require a, a, a reconfiguring um, of what it even means to manage a team. But this is the future of work. I don't know what to tell you. We 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 can't expect different outcomes um, by you by doing the same things. So I mean, so this kind of leadership, John, that you're talking about, it's not paint by numbers. There's no process log that you're going to go through to get the best out of your employees in this condition because you got to read the room. You know, every employee is unique. Um, do you think that great wellness programs can be scaled? That a company can have this many leaders like let's think a multinational company as an example can we apply these programs in a big organization like that you know the answer is yes we can scale this it will be a combination right of the right tools the right attention the right messaging and then the right leadership right so again this is a comprehensive full court press trying to create a space 
right? This is not a project. And that's really how we get back to this. This is not a project where we apply a model to a problem and come up with an answer. This is a space that we are creating. And yes, I've seen it scale. I've seen it done really well. There are organizations where if you ask the employees kind of what is it like working here in the top three things that they'll list is, hey, you know, we're really supported here. You know, we feel good working here. I feel supported, you know, and it's built into the culture that way. And they have the right tools and they have upskilled the managers to think and talk in this way. So yes, it's possible. This is not just a pipe dream. Um, we just gotta, we just gotta do it. Who is steering this ship? You're talking about scale. You're talking about needs for resources. Um, somebody needs to steer these things. Is it an EX initiative, an HR initiative? And I know some people confuse those two. Who's driving this boat? So um, a lot of organizations that are really taking this seriously are are standing up a, a, a C-level role in this space. Um, so we're looking at chief wellness and well-being officers. I know you know, the American Medical Association, right? They just stood up this role and, and that person is responsible directly for, you know, physician well-being and chronic stress and burnout and, and can cl clinician distress, right? That is their job. And, um, you know, a couple of other organizations I can kind of point to that have stood up this as an actual function. But I will say, I'll say this, it cannot happen in isolation, right? This can't just be a CFO worried about the, the budget or the bottom line. This is a role that wherever it lands, it involves people, it involves talent, it involves folks on the strategy side of the house, it involves operations. Because again, this is a full comprehensive cultural transformation that we would need to get into. So short answer, I mean, if you take this as seriously as we are suggesting you take this, Get yourself a chief wellness and well-being officer and allow that person to, to be able to pull resources from all different facets of the organization um, in order to make this work. It's awesome. Well, uh, Jonathan, you're, you're selling me on it. You know, we certainly need employees that are uh, mentally and emotionally fit, um, even physically fit. Uh, your great James Quibby talks about that. Future fitness is, is also the, the physical well-being. Um, leave, leave us a nugget. Uh, I don't want our program to be broken. Um, where do I start? How do I make it not be broken? I'm going to end the same way I started. Listening is probably the most impactful tool that we have. It is a muscle and it should inform this whole pursuit. And most organizations skip it or they reduce it to, their once a year engagement survey and then ask really vague questions and then don't give anyone space to write how they really feel, right? And they say, yep, box is checked. So when I mean listen, I mean actually listen. It, it doesn't scale super well. Um, you oftentimes hear things that you don't wanna hear, but that's the only way that you move the needle in this space. So I'm gonna end the same way I started. Listen to the current Listen to the general sentiment, listen to individual employees, listen to their stories, listen to what makes them successful and what hinders success at the individual level. If you can't, um, then you kind of can't do any of this well. I'm hearing you, Jonathan. Thank you so much. We look forward to the uh, next chapter of the health and wellness series. Thanks for having me. Thank you. 
If you like what you heard today, subscribe to Forrester's What It Means podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast player. To continue the conversation, follow Forrester on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn, or drop us a note at podcast at Thanks for listening.